0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are glad to see everyone here on campus, those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, Thank you so much for making this evening a part of, or making this service a part of your evening, rather. We're glad that you're worshiping with us. Look at someone uh, sitting nearby. Give them a big smile. Tell them you are happy to see them in church tonight. I hope you're having a good week. Um, in some ways, it feels like a very long week already. In some ways, it's kind of flown by. It seems like we were just here worshiping on Sunday. But uh, be that as it may, I hope that you are having a good week. And uh, again, so glad to see all of you here tonight. Let's open tonight by reminding you of just a couple of things. Uh, for all the gentlemen, uh, men's conference begins tomorrow up in Tioga. goes through Saturday. And if you can be a part of of all of that conference, some of that conference, whatever you can uh, do, I know it will be a blessing to you. And we encourage you to participate uh, to the extent that you're able to do so. And then I'm very excited to announce that uh, Brother Greg Albritton will be ministering in the service this Sunday, uh, the 11 o'clock service. Um, Excited. He's always such a blessing to our church. uh, And uh, just looking forward to having him with us this Sunday Uh, Bring somebody with you and let's have a great time in the Holy Ghost. And then finally, uh, not this Sunday coming, but the next is May 7th, and we'll be honoring our graduates in that service. And so if you or someone you know is graduating, now is a good time to get that information over to the church office so that we can honor uh, all of our graduates. It's always a special service, a special time, and this year will be no exception. proud of the accomplishments of... uh, of, of those that are graduating, usually it's our students, but not always. Sometimes we have adults that are graduating too, and we just honor everyone that has worked so hard and um, and gotten their education. Wonderful, wonderful. So we're looking forward to that service. Let's stand together, if you would. I'd like to begin tonight uh, with prayer and uh, just praying over the service and um, just worshiping the Lord a little bit. Uh, you know. Uh, Simon Peter said on the Mount of Transfiguration, he told Jesus, he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here, and uh, I feel that way tonight. It is good for us to be here in his presence at church on campus, and I want to take advantage of that. I want to take advantage of being in the king's presence tonight. So could could we just take a moment and, and talk to him and worship him together, Jesus? We are thankful, Lord, to be here. It is good to be here, good to be in your presence, Lord. And so I'm, I'm just worshiping you, praising you, thanking you. God, you brought us safe this far, Lord, and you will never leave or forsake. Lord, you hold our tomorrows in your hand. Lord, our trust, our faith, our hope is in you. And we praise you tonight. I pray over this service, Lord, anoint the word of God as it goes forth. Lord, anoint the preaching of the word. in kids' church tonight, Lord, anoint those that are ministering to our kids. Lord, and let us leave knowing we were in the presence of the Lord. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. As as pastor comes to the pulpit, would you remain standing and just clap your hands to Jesus and give him a shout of praise tonight. God bless you.
1: Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see all of you here tonight. And uh, as always, thank you so much for being here. And uh, look at your neighbor and give him a fist bump. Tell him I'm glad to see you. Thank the Lord. I appreciate husbands and wives that do that back and forth with each other. That's encouraging. Um, that they're glad to see each other in church. So uh, that's a that's a nice thing. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, man, wonderful time here Sunday. Uh, baptized a couple of people, and uh, that's always a wonderful thing. And uh, just a an amazing presence of the Lord that was here Sunday. We have certainly been experiencing and enjoying a a great time of revival and refreshing um, particularly this year uh, just started off the first of the year to just seemed like um, just everybody's just gotten involved in the moving of the presence of the Lord and that's such a an encouraging thing and inspiration and um, I was uh sister murphy and i had lunch this uh past sunday with brother tom and um there was some conversation and, and things that went on and uh he affirmed in me some things that i was feeling and uh he he told me after church he said i have a story that i need to tell you and uh, he said not right now but uh, he said just before we leave today and i so said, won't you have lunch with us? And it, it turned out to be marvelous. And um, it's kind of ricocheted me. That story has kind of just bounced me into the direction I want to go tonight and uh, have been feeling this direction anyway. And uh, having lunch with him Sunday just really uh, affirmed some feelings that I was having. And it has to do with the fact that Yes, we have been in in an awesome moment of of revival, of God doing wonderful things, marvelous things, uh, talking to people, stirring up people, and um, I'm very thankful for that. So tonight would be a great night to make the presentation that I want to present to you here tonight. Um, You will not understand my title until I get to the very end of my Bible study, so don't let it be a distraction. You'll understand it. When I get to the end of it. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul said to the church at Philippi, I said, Follow, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Notice verse 18, it, it really has, has spoken to my heart, and especially verse 19. But verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Everybody say the cross of Christ. They're not necessarily enemies of Christ. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. Whose God is their belly and their glory is their shame. In other words, they flaunt the idea that I'm not an enemy of Christ even though I don't totally embrace him I don't embrace that one big huge principle that Christ represents and that is the cross I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the necessity of the string the necessity of the string let me intro this tonight by asking you a question what did Jesus mean when he said take up your cross and follow me. He said that in Matthew 16, Mark 8, Luke 9, other places throughout the Gospels. What did he mean when he said, take up your cross? It's, it would be fair to respond and say, well, I've been taught and I've understood all my life that when Jesus died on the cross, that was for everybody, and including me, and so I shouldn't have to die on a cross. He didn't mean that literally, because he did go to the cross once and for all, for all people. Before I respond to the question, what did Jesus mean, let me clarify tonight, and I'll make this as simple as I can, what Jesus did not mean. When he said to take up your cross and follow me, let me explain to you tonight what he did not mean you'll notice the screen I've heard it all of my life I've heard this all of my life many people interpret cross as some burden they must carry in their lives for an example a strained relationship with somebody I have literally heard married people refer to their spouse seriously in counseling not joking but in counseling that I cannot do one thing with my spouse I guess they're just going to be that cross that I have to bear from here to eternity. So some people think it's a strained relationship. Some people have a thankless job. They don't like their job. They can't get out of it. They can't find something else. So they just conclude that this must be the cross that I have to bear. Uh, A lot of people have said that about a physical illness. So with self-pitying pride they say in reference to some of these things that's my cross that I have to carry I don't believe here tonight that such an interpretation is what Jesus meant when he said take up your cross and follow me I want everybody to understand tonight when Jesus made that statement he knew very well what that statement was going to entail he knew very well what that statement was going to mean. When Jesus carried his cross up Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as symbolic of a burden, some burden of a relationship, a sickness, a job. Nobody was thinking. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, watching him carry his, then surely that's what he means. Nobody thought that. I can promise you, nobody thought that. To a person in the first century that was, had any familiarity with, with crucifixion, they understood that cross-carrying meant one thing and one thing only. It was death by the most painful and humiliating means Human beings could develop at the time. That's what a cross meant. That's what cross-carrying meant. I want to inject right here, and I'll, I'll follow up with this in a few minutes. I'd like for everyone to do your best tonight to remember this presentation and to think about it the next time you're too tired to come to church. Are you too tired or busy to attend a prayer meeting? But then we'll testify about, oh, the burdens that I carry, the cross that I carry, and whatever. We have that understanding of the cross in our mind as a misrepresentation of what Jesus meant. So let's fast forward 2,000 years later, this side of the cross, this side of Calvary. Christians view the cross as a cherished symbol of atonement, of forgiveness, of grace, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, and the list goes on. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing but torturous, horrible, unfathomable, painful death. On top of being crucified, the Romans also forced the convicted criminal to carry his own cross to the place of crucifixion. That furthered the ridicule and the shame and the embarrassment along the way that people were justified at cursing at the person carrying the cross. They, the crowd was justified by making fun of them and 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 taunting them and what have you. So when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, when you study it accurately in the Bible, it just simply means a willingness to die in order to follow Jesus. You die for him as much as he died for you. This is called dying to yourself. It's dying to your carnality. It's, it's dying out to carnal desires and what have you. It's calling for a complete surrender to Jesus to His word and to His will. It's interesting to me and presenting this material tonight and um, working with, with various ministers uh, throughout the years, uh, some here, some in our previous pastorate in Youngstown, um, working with a lot of church people, of course. And people say that this is what I want to do. I want to do. I want to do. This is what I want to do. I want. I want to do. A lot of people will even say that I prayed about it, and and God wants me to do this and that. And um, I've, I don't know how else to say this. I've I've done this long enough to know that most of the time those statements will either resonate with me or they won't resonate with me. Uh, It's a a discernment thing, I suppose. That oftentimes when we want God's blessing, we want it on our terms. When we want God to do something for us, we want Him to do it on our terms. We want Him to bless what we're doing. And uh, you don't always hear, I will set whatever it is I'm doing aside, no matter how I feel, No matter what's happened to me, no matter what I've gone through, I'm going to set all that aside and I'm still going to do the will of God. I'm going to fulfill the will of God in my life no matter what it takes. I believe when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, what he is simply saying, when you pray, you pray like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, not my will, not my will will not my will it's not about me and what I want to do it's not about me and the way I want things to be God I'm going to put all of my wants and desires aside and you tell me what you want what you are asking of me that's taking up your cross and following him So take up your cross and follow me is a sacrifice of our carnal human nature. I, I can't stress this part enough. When Jesus said, and "I don't know that we uh, really recognize the, the, the magnitude of it, um, as he prefaced picking up that literal cross literally carrying a cross to Calvary he prefaced that event by saying not my will but thine be done he prefaced saying not my will but thine be done with this statement he said if it be possible let this cup pass from me if it be possible don't ask me to do this if it be possible don't require this of me nevertheless not my will no matter what I'm made of, no matter what's happened to me, no matter what I think I'm entitled to, no matter what I think I can fairly expect in this life, not none of that, strictly God, what you want. Everybody say, not my will. After each time Jesus commanded cross-bearing, every time he said it in the scripture, References at least in three of the gospels when he said this. In Luke chapter 9, he 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 finished every time he said that he finished this with this statement. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. In other words, whoever wants to live will have to die. But if you don't die, you're not gonna live either. Spiritually speaking, of course. He said, For whosoever loses his life for me will save it. Whosoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his very self? What good is it? What does it accomplish if you gain the whole world? Listen to pastor. I know the call is tough. I know this is a hard saying. It's a hard statement. But the reward is matchless. The reward is matchless. You'll remember reading in the Gospels, wherever Jesus went, he drew crowds. He always could draw a crowd. You feed the multitude one time, and you always have a crowd. But then sometimes when he would draw the crowd, um, he he would finish up whatever miracle he performed or parable he told. He would finish it up with a little commitment service. We'll come to that in just a moment. Wherever he went, he drew crowds. And although these multitudes often followed him as Messiah, even though their view of who the Messiah really was and what he would do was distorted, but they followed him to the best they understood as the Messiah, and they, they thought Christ would usher in the restored kingdom of David Deliver them from Roman oppression. They believed that he would free them from the oppressive rule of their Roman occupier. So even Jesus' own inner circle of disciples thought that he would restore the kingdom of David uh, back to Israel. So when Jesus began teaching, when he would draw the crowd, he'd got a big crowd of people... When he began teaching that he was going to die at the hands of the Jewish leaders and their Gentile overlords in Luke chapter 9, his popularity began to sink. He wasn't as appealing as he was multiplying bread and fish when he started talking about dying at the hands of Jewish leaders and the the, the Romans. His popularity began to wane and many of the shocked followers rejected him. Uh, Truly... They were not able to put to death their own ideas, their own plans, their own desires, and exchange them for His. We have our own agenda, Jesus. And if what you're doing don't fit what we want you to do, then we're really not interested in following you around too much anymore. I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but that's exactly what they were saying. Now back to us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, which you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have... Rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Every man shall bear his own carnality. Every man shall bear his own conscience. Every man is responsible, bottom line, unto himself. You, you have to take care of yourself. You, you have to be what you have to be when it comes to the kingdom of God. Work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling, essentially. So you will agree with me tonight that following Jesus, as they did back then, is easy when life is running smoothly. Our true commitment to Him is oftentimes revealed during times of trial. He will do this to test us. The Bible is very clear on that. But I want you to notice tonight, and notice the screen. Jesus assured us that trials would come to His followers. He said it would happen. Discipleship demands sacrifice. And Jesus never hid that cost from anybody. From day one, He never hid that. He, it, never comes, it should never come to us as a surprise when we're tried. When we go through things we don't understand, when our prayers... We say aren't answered. What we mean by that is we prayed about something and God didn't give us what we wanted. That's what that means. Every prayer is answered. Go back to the child parent thing. My daddy would answer me. He always answered. So did my mother. But particularly with my dad, it was very rarely the answer I wanted, but he answered. Everybody say amen. Y'all get the point? God, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and I just this just doesn't work out. It's God saying no. He's answering. That's why it's not working out. If it was the will of God and you prayed about it, it would work out, right? Does that make sense to everybody? I want you to notice tonight in Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-seven. Three people seemed willing to follow Jesus. They seemed willing. To follow Jesus. When Jesus questioned them further, their commitment was half hearted at best. It sounds kind of like America today. In verse 57, it came to pass as they went in a way, a certain man said unto him, Jesus, he said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever you go. It doesn't matter where you go, I'm gonna follow you. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds have, air, uh, have uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In other words, if you follow me, I don't stay in the Hilton every night. I'm telling you up front, you're going to sleep in a tent. You're going to cook your food on a fire. Jesus did that after he resurrected. He didn't have the Maytag stove and all the current appliances. He didn't have a condo somewhere. He didn't have rental property somewhere. If you're going to follow me, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. And he said to another, follow me. But that man said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Jesus said to that man, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. In other words... You can't, I've, I've mentored ministers along this line. When you're in a terrible place personally and your emotions are a wreck and someone from the church calls and says, can you come pray for me, can you minister to me, whatever, you set everything you're feeling aside. You set it aside and you go tend to the person in your church. When I preached my mother's funeral, I had to set all of my feelings aside. And what no one else knew is when that service was finally over, we had a meal with family and friends. When all of that was over, I chose to go home by myself. And when I walked in the door of my personal private home, I sat in a chair and I sobbed for about a half hour over the passing of my mother. I set all of my feelings aside and ministered to the family first. Another said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. These are hard sayings. But Jesus is teaching a point. He's teaching a principle. He is teaching the necessity of the string. We'll come to that at the end. You don't understand it, but you will in just a moment. He is teaching them what true commitment is. It's not true commitment to Christ does not revolve around what you want to do. It revolves around what he wants you to do. And that's everyday. That's everyday life. It's everyday life. These people that came to Jesus in Luke chapter 9, they failed to count the cost of following him. None was willing to take up his cross and crucify upon it his or her own will and interest. They wanted to do what I want to do first. Let me go do this first and then I'll come follow you. Let me go take care of this first. and You remember the time Jesus called people to a banquet, he told the parable, and one said, I bought a yoke of oxen, I bought some property, I've married a wife, I have all these reasons, let me take care of my stuff first. That's not the way this works. What the Bible's teaching. So Jesus appeared to discourage them from following him. If you let me just tell you how it's going to be, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be a committed Christian, he seemed to discourage them if they, if he knew or felt like they weren't going to do it, and that is really a different way to present the gospel to people. How many people would respond to an altar call that went something along this line? Come follow Jesus, and you may face the loss of all your friends, and it may cause a lot of trouble in your family. You could even lose your reputation or your career. You could possibly even lose your life. Everybody come follow Jesus. How many do you think you would would come? In America, you can get up and preach the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, forgiveness, and all that, and they don't come for that. They sure are not going to come for this. The number of false converts would likely decrease and such a call is what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. And I know here in America, particularly in our area, come follow Jesus, you may face the loss of friends and family and reputation and career and even possibly your life. That don't exist much around here. Um, we, we do know people and, and, and are even working with people perhaps that um, have very strong religious traditions in their family. And if they converted to apostolic Pentecostal faith, it would cause ripples in their family and what have you. But I remember Brother Mark staring that was missionary to the country of Lebanon when he said in this pulpit one Wednesday night, uh, as one of our, hosting one of our missionaries, he said, it's it's a life threat to me every time I baptize somebody in Jesus' name. The government of Lebanon, of the country of, of, of Lebanon, has told all the Muslims there, if anybody does anything to your family other than what we teach as, in, in the Muslim faith, you yourself can cut their head off on the street. Don't worry about it. You don't have to call the cops. You don't have, you don't have to worry about being put in jail. If they do anything that conflicts with Muslim faith, you can kill them on the spot. (laughs) No questions asked. So he said it's a a threat to his life every time he baptizes somebody in Jesus' name, every time he preaches a sermon. We don't put up with that here, but there are parts of the world where it's very common, and it happens frequently, or or no one preaches or teaches anything contrary uh, to what that country believes. So if you wonder, before I go to this point, I remember I, I brought it up yesterday talking to somebody in, in, in the front yard of my house, uh, I believe I have them maybe talked into a home Bible study, uh, they've never been here and I'm excited about it, uh, I hope they'll, they'll do it, but um, I, I told the story, we, we taught a Bible study to Marcus's third grade school teacher in Youngstown, she was another faith, and we had to teach her a Bible study confidentially because she said if her family and friends found out she would be ostracized from her family and she would lose her job as a school teacher. It was that bad. And she sat on our couch and big tears would stream down her face and said, I want this so bad and I see it so bad, but the cost is too high. So Sister Murphy and I have lived with this principle with people. So if you wonder if you are ready to take up your cross and follow Jesus, consider these questions. Are you willing? Everybody say willing. Are you willing to follow Jesus even if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing... To follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? Notice the question. Are you willing? Nowhere in the scripture did Jesus promise that these things would happen to everybody that follows him. Most of the people that choose to follow Jesus, none of these things are required. All Jesus wants to know is are you willing if it does? Here in America, this is toned down. It's it's brought way down and a a whole lot simpler (laughs) and not quite so sacrificial. Jesus just asked pretty much here in America because these things that I just mentioned really aren't a problem here, as I said a moment ago. Um, So here in America, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, would you just attend the house of God faithfully? Would you do that much? Would you be willing to pay your tithes? Would you, willing to be, would you be willing to talk to me on a daily basis? Could I ask you to just read my Bible once a day, just for a few minutes? These are the sacrifices that we're asked to make when in reality there's parts of the world very much so then and even somewhat now that these other questions are more applicable. When you come to the altar at Brother Stearns Church in Lebanon, in the country of Lebanon, you could very well be a dead man in about five minutes. They pay the price. They take up a cross. Our cross, faithfulness, 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 discipleship, discipleship, and even many, as simple and as easy as this is, still say, I can't do it. I love Jesus, but I don't like the cross. It's compelling, isn't it? Especially when it's Bible, when it's the Word of God. So following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you'll experience all the things that I just mentioned. But would you be willing to take up the cross and follow Him if they were? If there comes a point in your life where you are faced with a choice, Jesus or the comforts of this life, which would you choose? Jesus doesn't ask you to give up the comforts of life. He just wants to know, would you be willing to do it? Commitment to Christ means taking up your cross daily, giving up your hopes, your dreams, your possessions, even your very life, if need be, for the cause of Christ. Here's the way this works. Listen to pastor. This is what... People don't understand. I'm coming to the string in just a minute. This is what we need to understand. If we would do the simple things that it seems mainstream Christianity, even mainstream UPC teaches, if we would just do that and be willing to give up some comforts of life here and there, now and then, the blessing that comes in that Is immeasurable. That's what Jesus knew. What we fail to see with this cross concept is Jesus endured the cross. Why? Louder. For the joy that was set before Him. If the cross principle applies prior to Calvary and at Calvary, Certainly it applies after Calvary and Resurrection. There's a a sacrificial part of the life that we live. Our holiness standards is a huge, I believe is a huge sacrifice, especially for our ladies. And it's wonderful when you do. It's beautiful when you do. But there's a joy... That's promised. Do you remember that verse? I I, I quoted it yesterday to the the man in my front yard. Seek ye first the kingdom. You remember that principle? This is a result of cross-carrying. If you do what I ask you to do, Jesus is saying, everything else in your life that you would ever need, I will take care of it. That's the promise. The reward is matchless. Who can offer you such a thing? But it's amazing at what we trade our commitment for, our faithfulness for. Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, only if you willingly take up your cross may you be called his disciples. The reward is worth the price. The reward is worth the price. Let me go through some scriptures here quickly. Matthew sixteen twenty five. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, verse 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee, no cross carrying for you, Jesus. And he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For you savor not the things of God, but those that be of men. Jesus said unto him, unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Your wants, your carnal nature, your carnal desires, what have you. Take up the cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. For he that taketh not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it, but he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Mark 10, 21, Jesus holding him, loved him and said unto him, this is the the, the young rich man, he said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever you have, give it to the poor, and come have treasure in heaven. Had come, take up the cross and follow me. The man went away grieved. In Matthew 27, likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him. Now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The cross meant follow through, going all the way, commitment, whatever the cost. Stand with me tonight and let me give you my conclusion. <clears throat> this is what we don't understand about the beauty of commitment, it's the beauty of, of dedication. I don't believe when you sell out to Jesus, you become this funny looking person, you, like a Martian, and your skin turns green, you get little antennas on your head and all that. You, you're not an alien. You're not weird. It's an attitude. It's a spirit, it's a demeanor, it's a posture. You sell out to Jesus. And when you do, as I preach Sunday morning, holding on to the unchanging hand of God, when I preached that Sunday, I made the statement, you don't hold on to God's hand on your terms. You hold his hand on his terms. He'll hold your hand on his terms. That's the way that works, and I suppose Something along that line is what inspired Brother Tom to tell me this story. Everybody listen, and I I don't think anybody here tonight will forget this story. I'm, I'm, I'm finished after this. A little boy was flying a kite one day, and the kite looked down at him and said, Would you let out a little more string? I'd like to fly a little bit higher. The little boy obliged and the kite began to soar even higher in the sky. And after a little while, the the kite looked down at the little boy again and said, I'd like to fly a little bit higher. And so the little boy let out a little more string. This repeated several times. And then one more time, the kite looked down at the little boy and said, I'd like to fly a little bit higher in the sky. Can you let out a little bit more of the string? And the little boy responded to the kite and said, I don't have any more string to let out. I'm going to not let you go higher. I'm not going to let you go any further. The kite looked back down at the little boy and said, Well, just cut the string. I'll be able to fly as high as I want to so very hesitantly, the little boy took out his little pocket knife and he cut the string the kite for just a brief moment was very happy and thought now I can fly as high as I want to but in that same moment of jubilation the kite realized he began to flutter and then started a descent. It wasn't long until the little boy lost sight of the kite as the kite continued to drift downward and finally disappeared out of sight behind the trees. So the little boy started walking in the direction of where the kite fell, and he finally found the kite hanging upside down from a power line. He was actually hanging from the long, beautiful tail that had helped him stay stabilized in the sky while he was flying so high, attached to the stream. But now the kite was hanging upside down and the kite told the little boy down below, I don't understand what happened, I was flying so high and now my world is turned upside down. The kite did not understand what he did not understand is that the thing that was keeping him down was actually the thing that was keeping him up. It's the necessity of the string. And against the backdrop of this illustration that impacted me so heavily, We know people, there's people here tonight that so desperately want to fly a little bit higher and experience a little more life and just to have this and have that and go here and go there. And we keep telling Jesus, I'm still your friend. Even though I despise your cross, I'll still be your friend. Can you let out the string a little bit more? But even God has to draw a line somewhere and it's what I was preaching so hard Sunday morning there's people that I know that want to let go of the hand of God so bad they don't know what to do there's some that did it years ago but God just won't let go of theirs and the little boy just couldn't give up his kite even though the kite was okay with giving up him we have to understand I want all of our young people here right now to understand the necessity of the stream there's something that holds us to life and to sanity and to hope and to promise I said the necessity of the string, I call it commitment it's, it's staying committed it's staying tied to Christ no matter what So as I preach Sunday when you go through horrible things you don't default to your flesh and to your feelings, you default to the word of God you default to the promise of God you default to the Holy Ghost on the inside of you that's what you do So that string that keeps us connected, it's faith, it's obedience, it's faithfulness, it's prayer, it's discipline, fasting, commitment, tithing, and the list goes on. You'll never know the beauty and splendor of eternity unless you understand the necessity of the string. For many walk, Paul said, of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. I can't help it. I don't know. I sat under Curtis Young's preaching for, I guess, about 10, 11 years before we left to go into ministry. And the man preached revival and commitment, revival and commitment, revival and commitment. I suppose it was pounded into my head when God called me to preach, it was the same thing there's a lot of things I want to do there's a lot of things I want to do so bad and I just can't because of commitment Tom asked a question Sunday sitting at the table he said I I, I suppose you have things that you fight with all the time I've been very honest and transparent I, I get up every morning and fight things in my head and fight things in my spirit and what have you. But I just can't cut, and I don't want God to ever cut that stream. I want him to keep a hold of my hand. I want him to keep me close to him. I've asked God over and over, please don't let me go. I've prayed that for years. Please don't let me go. No matter what I do, no matter how stupid I get, no matter what kind of attitude I've got, please don't let me go. I'll come back. I'll be back. And sometimes it's got to the point, Brother Tom, recently, especially this year, I just pray, God, if you'll just reel in some string, just tighten it up a little bit more. I just want to get as close to you as I can. Just keep rolling up that string, rolling up that string. So, folks, understand tonight. Don't leave here without understanding. The necessity of the string. The necessity of the string. Can we pray tonight and ask God to please help us to be patient, to be kind, and to touch our hearts one more time. Everybody, would you pray right now? Jesus, we love you. We're thankful, God, for the the extreme honor and pleasure of not only knowing you, but to know you in a place where it's easy, to know you in a place where the challenges really and truly are not that many not compared to other places around our world and why you chose us to be born here I don't know but I'm so thankful you did I'm thankful God for the church I grew up in I'm thankful God for the night I was filled with your spirit I was baptized in Jesus name I'm thankful God for that time that you tied a string around my heart and it's been there ever since it's been there since I was a child It's been there all of my life, and I'm thankful, God, and I'm asking you tonight, don't ever cut that string. Don't ever cut the string. As a matter of fact, just reel me in closer to you, reel me in closer to you. Help us, God, as a church, to draw as close to you as we possibly can to be what you want us to be, to be what you've called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Love on somebody before you leave. God bless you, and Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning.